everybody who is joining us today. This is Terry Gibbons with the Center for Higher Education Leadership, and we are very happy to be joined today um, with our sponsor, BibliU. And we are uh, going to be talking today about a topic that is really important to me personally. I have been a provost, as you can see, as provost uh, at Menlo College, and you know, this topic of digital content is a really important one for me personally because I, I dealt with this as both a professor and a provost and getting students to both have access to and utilize text is, is often difficult. When I was a provost at Menlo College, um, you know, we, we had a problem with students actually um, you know, utilizing their texts and, and when I was a professor, I always had to push hard to get my students to actually buy textbooks. So, you know, making sure students have equitable and, you know, affordable access to text is and content in general um, is really an important one. So welcome to those of you who are just joining us. Um, again, if you would uh, Make sure you uh, ask your questions anytime in the chat. We would be happy to, to see those questions. And so I see we're, we're getting um, some new folks joining in. Um, but I'm gonna go ahead and uh, get us started uh, since we're a few minutes after nine o'clock. So um, I will pass it off to uh, Dave and Umberto who are our participants today. And we'll also be hearing from Rob Gibson. So if you guys could go ahead and introduce yourselves. Great. Thanks, Terry. So I'm Dave. I'm the co-founder of Bibli. Um, and as you just said, Terry, you know, I, I was a fairly recent student myself. And, and as a student at Oxford University, I found textbooks incredibly expensive, but then also found it difficult to get hold of a digital um, file. And if I did get hold of a digital file, the access and the accessibility was the real challenge for me. Um, so, so that motivation led me to set up BibliU with uh, my co-founder Daniel. And yeah, we, we're working with over 130 universities now. The universities provide this content and, and generally it's, it's free for the students. It's, it's paid for by the institution. So there's some social benefit there as well. Great to be here. And uh, I'm Umberto, I'm head of product at BibliU. And I oversee the development of our student-facing product and our institution-facing product. Uh, on the student side, uh, we make sure that we try and offer uh, an effective learning solution for students and universities. And on the institution side, we try and make sure, make sure that institutional workflows are as simple as possible so that students can get access to content for free. There you go. Rob, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks, Terry. Uh, I wish I had a wonderful English brogue. <laughs> would be I just have a Midwestern twang. Um, but yeah, I'm Rob Gibson, Director of Learning Technologies at Emporia State University. Yeah, it's a small teacher's college uh, in the Kansas region system, kind of close to Kansas City, if you can kind of orient yourself ge geographically. And uh, I'll have more to share um, during my short segment, so I'll um, I'll reserve that for later. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, go ahead, Umberto. Great. Yeah. So in in terms of BibliU and and, and what we do, three core elements. Uh, so the first is is to ensure we provide a flexible content 
um, offering that matches the strategy of the institution. And, you know, we have a number of universities that are very, very big on open resources, uh, open resources being the most affordable way to manage content. A number of them like resources from your Pearsons and your Oxford University Presses. And a number of them also like monographs or, or the more specific sort of research books. And, and what we do is provide exactly that. We provide the resources that the institution uses. And it's typically done in a manner of um, by the reading list or sort of by the book list, a bespoke access. So the institution shares with us, you know, the content that they specifically utilize and we provide them with that content. And the, the key point here is that you know, none of the teaching structures, none of the workflows, nothing has to change from the institution's perspective. It's a very light touch um, access to Bilyeu. The second point is that from the professor's perspective, and I think this is something Terry touched on before, you know, it's, it's really key that, that, that we all know that, um, particularly from the professor's perspective, that the students have access to that core material from day one. Um, you know, there are many, many challenges around getting the, the core material, there's affordability, all sorts of challenges in terms of getting it. And the beauty of this system is it's set up from day one, sometimes earlier actually, and when the student comes to their college or university, the content's there in the learning management system ready to go. And then the final point is the equitable um, content delivery. So, um, uh, as I said before, you know, generally the, the access for the students is free to the system. And we, we all know that, that the affordability of textbooks has been a real challenge historically. Um, some, some stats out there, I was talking to Terry the other day, just saying in, in one of her, her, her classes, she, she, she um, thought and, and I think had, had some feedback that about 20% of the students actually got hold of, of, of the textbook. There's some interesting um, surveys that have been done by NACS and a few other institutions and basically showed that, you know, 50% um, uh, of students uh, do not buy the, the, the core textbook at least, sometimes that, 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 that's higher than that. And this is despite the fact that 90% of students know that by not having access to that content, their grades may suffer. So it's really important from a point of equity to provide that um, to them and, and including it in the course fee or the, or the institution, the, the, the study fee is, is really important. And then the final point is the return on investment and the beauty of this flexible content strategy that, that, that we help to fill is that particular content that is very cost effective per student or whatnot um, and, and particularly cost effective in terms of the usage that's the type of content that, that you will utilize um, year after year any content that's run in a content program that's not being utilized very heavily could either be taken out of the program in a following year to look for something with a better usage and ROI or alternatively it, it could be paid purely on a basis of access by the institution. So, so the institution would never pay for, for content that's not being used. So it's really important to, to really maximize the ROI. And a lot of that comes back to what Umberto will talk about later in terms of making the student experience really, really um, clean, simple, easy to use, so, so that they are getting the most out of that content. Great, next slide. Awesome. So as you kind of introduced, Dave, um, we're going to be touching on our value proposition for a couple of our stakeholders. Um, I'm going to start off with students, then work my way into what we can offer professors and then what we offer librarians. Um, and on the student side, really 
really our aim is to make uh, learning as effective as possible for students. Um, in order to do this, it's critical that our platform is as intuitive and simple to use as possible and that it caters to every student's learning requirements. What we often talk about internally when, um, when discussing ease of use is how we can provide a streaming-like experience. And this means that it requires us to think beyond current learning platforms, but actually benchmark ourselves um, to the experiences that students are really most accustomed to. And those are essentially from UX leaders like Netflix and Spotify. And we want to give them as similar an experience to that as possible with their online course materials. This means at the end of the day, having access to the content you need wherever and whenever you want. And we provide this through cross-platform access and some of the features that are touched upon on this slide. So the ability to search across every book at once, much like you would search your Netflix or Spotify library. Um, the ability to download offline for offline reading so that you know you can read your books even when you're you might be underground on the train or you might be at home with a poor internet connection but also the ability so that the work you carry out on one device is instantly synchronized across all, your, all of your devices so if you're studying and annotating uh in class on your ipad when you get home and you open up your laptop all the work that you've done is there ready for you to keep on studying so I'm going to run and do a quick demo, run through a quick demo um, of our student experience. And I'm hoping that you can all see my screen. And the first point that I wanted to touch on is our login process. This is really important because we think that one of the most critical things for students and to ensure usage of resources is to place our content where the students expect to find it. This means placing it through LMS integrations, single sign-on integrations, and integrations with library systems so that no matter where they go, the student can find their content alongside all other university resources. There is also something that we believe in very strongly, and that is that we should give students account-free access. And what that means is not that when they log in, they don't have an account or an account or a way of synchronizing their comments and highlights. What that means is that we should be not forcing students to create new accounts just for Biblio. So this is what our integrations do for us. Um, our LMS integrations and single sign-on integrations allow students to access content frictionlessly without any blockers. So they never have to enter their email they never have to decide on a password and remember it. Um, they never have to carry out any extra steps. The content is there instantly the moment they need it. And I just want to give you a quick look at some of our single sign-on integrations. Um, this is one for one of our partner universities, Coventry. And all it means is that from all of Coventry's systems, they can actually link to our platform through their own single sign-on system so that students immediately know it's a platform that's uh, you know, deeply linked to the university and can be trusted and they can easily get access to it. So I'm just gonna jump back and log into the platform and give you a quick demo. Just letting you know, everybody loves single sign-on. 
(laughs) (laughs) Our students do too. And actually that's, you know, the reason we feel so strongly about it is because the deeper the integration with a university, the more we found that it drives usage and engagement with the content. So having a single sign-on integration and an integration with the LMS are the two single most important drivers to make sure that the content you've purchased at the university gets strong usage. And this is where the student ends up um, when, it, when they arrive into our app. This is the library screen. It's personalized so that there are recommendations based on their reading patterns. Um, but also the student has their own specific favorites up here that they can you know, keep track of as they study. Now, the way that most of our students uh, access their content is through our search. And this is one of the critical pieces of our user experience um, that students care about. So for example, as a student today, I might be uh, learning about the supply and demand curves. So supply and demand. And what our search does that's different to any other learning platform search is that we actually search through the content of every single book that I have access to. So it's very much a Google-like search where we try and return the most relevant piece of information for that student to read based on the query that they've made. So we believe that these are the paragraphs that the student should be reading in order to learn about supply and demand. We also show some books. Um, These books are based on the same query and these are the books that we believe have the most relevant content based on what they've searched for. Um, Of course, a book on supply and demand is the first result. And there are a couple of other economics, um, economics books coming up here. And something that we do very differently is we also have a figure search. And what the figure search allows a student to do is actually find specific graphs and charts that may have the best description of the specific thing that they're looking for. So you can see here that looking for supply and demand, I've actually got a bunch of supply and demand curves here. And if I click on these, they'll take me straight into the content to, to you know, the most relevant chapter that they might want to learn about. So I'm going to click into one of these books. Let's go this one. So once the student is in the reader, one of the most important things for us is making sure that the reader works the way the student wants it to work. Um, Now, that means, first of all, that from an accessibility perspective, it needs to be accessible through the preferred software that that student has. So we're actually compatible with all screen readers and we are compatible with all text-to-speech tools. But we also offer some features on top of that that are available out of the box. Things like the ability to dim the white backgrounds so that students that um, have dyslexia can actually read content more easily. We actually have the ability to go into night mode. So if you're studying at night, um, you're not getting blinded by the white backgrounds. Um, This also is much softer on the eyes and a lot of our students tend to prefer this way of reading. Um, You can actually do custom colors where you select exactly what color text you want and what kind, what color background you want and you can make for some truly interesting combinations. 
Um, but something that's very important is the ability to zoom into content. And something that's, that's a little bit different here is that our zoom is fully reflowable. So students can zoom up to 300% into a page without having to pan around content uncomfortably. We also offer some extra features because at the end of the day, everyone learns a little bit differently. Um, we allow students to print a certain amount of the book. So, you know, if they prefer to, to read off of paper, then off of the screen, we, we have that option for them. Um, we allow student to, students to download references into their preferred referencing tool. This allows them to carry out research um, within our app. Um, and of course, we offer things like highlighting and annotating of content. Um, and the important thing to note here is that every highlight, every comment is synchronized across all of their devices. So no matter where they're learning from, this information will be available to them in the future. That's a very quick overview of our reader interface. So we've talked about students, um, but how does BibliU help academics? Uh, for us, it's incredibly important to engage academics in, in these learning materials because academics are a big driver of usage and a big driver of students actually getting into and actually carrying out, you know, weekly readings and regular readings and actually learning stuff. So there are a couple of things that we offer academics. They have the ability to annotate content and share with students so that they can flag specific passages, they can flag specific formulas, they can actually link to external content. Um, so that, for example, um, if the student's learning about the supply and demand curve, the academic might know a very good YouTube video that explains it in a very succinct way, and they can link that into the book themselves. Um, there are detailed analytics covering reading time for students, uh, the actual quote, how they compare against the cohort, and the actual pages and bits of text that students are engaging with the most. This helps them structure their learning styles around pieces of content that students seem to be having the most difficulty learning and are spending a lot of time on. And they can narrow down on daily and hourly reading patterns um, and understand how their class is actually studying. Is it late at night? Is it just before the lecture? Is it just before the exam? Uh, or is it regularly distributed throughout the semester? And on the librarian side, we, as, as Dave said, said earlier, we try and fit into the current, current purchasing workflows that the library has. So we, we have integration with the major library system, library management systems. Um, we can provide mark records so that titles are visible in the discovery layer. We have single sign-on integrations so that books are accessible through any library system or reading list tool. And what we try and do is not only fit into your current workflows, but work our way towards improving them. So once we're into your workflows, we try and think critically about what, what the major problems are in that workflow and we work with you to actually solve them and reduce the time that it takes to deploy content across the institution. There's a quick demo here around analytics and I've pulled up the library report. So the library report is aimed at showing an institution and a library specifically 
the ROI of the purchasing decisions that they've made. So there are some very you know, high level metrics here. This is all demo data. So it might look a little strange, but this is you know, usage patterns. This is the reading time within, uh, within Biblio at a specific institution. And you can actually go through and see for specific purchasing decisions, so for specific ISBNs that the library has purchased, what is the time spent in all of them? What, how many visits, how many users have come in? And then also metrics around feature usage. How many times has that title been commented, annotated, highlighted, favorited? There is also some interesting analysis uh, that you can look at diving into titles. And this is shared with the academic reports. But if you pick one of these high usage titles, you can get some high level understanding around total time spent and weekly trends. But what's very interesting is that you can get a breakdown of the title uh, by chapter and by page number so that you can see on a heat map which chapters and which pages students spending the most time in. And there's something else that's very interesting down here. This shows the time spent in each chapter across time. And what you can sort of see here, but what you can sort of see here is that certain chapters tend to be popular at different times of the year. So you can start understanding the usage of a title by the chapter level. So, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, during exams, you tend to see big spikes across the, you know, hard to, hard to learn chapters, while throughout the semester, you might see smaller consistent spikes that align to your teaching schedule. That was a very, uh, very quick demo of our uh, student facing product and our uh, admin facing products. And now I'll hand over to Rob. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for the invitation today, too, to spend just a few minutes with you to talk about this amazing product. I just became aware of this product probably within the last uh, three or four weeks, and I started to do a little bit deeper dive into it, and I'm very excited about this. I really am. Uh, for our own personal interests, uh, I'm, sure, um, I'm sure you're starting to see some exciting things as well out there on the webinar. Uh, I'm just going to spend just a few minutes talking about this from a, from the sort of the academic perspective, um, and because uh, there's a lot of great questions coming in, I want to read, read see the answers to those. So I'm going to get to those. <laughs> but there were a number of really great points of, that came up, and I want to take you on a little bit of a personal journey. Uh, maybe I can share a personal vignette with you to maybe get the the questions rolling here. But uh, so I circled back after my doctoral degree, and I finished uh, an MBA at one of the large competency-based universities and uh, here in the States. And, you know, one of the things they did, and I think they still do, as a matter of fact, which I thought was ingenious, was that they, um, we provide, they paid a, uh, had a flat fee for access to all of our electronic course materials uh, in one lump fee. So we kind of knew in advance, essentially, what, what we were getting and how much it was going to cost, so we could budget for that accordingly. And, uh, actually, the total cost of the textbooks over uh, the period of the program, two years, was about the same as two textbooks would be if they were physical textbooks. This product, to me, takes that model to a whole other level uh, because now we can search across content. You saw some of the amazing features and analytics that they can 
synthetic component as well. <clears throat> so it's very exciting. I wanted to share with you just a couple of uh, little uh, uh, statistics with respect to uh, open educational resources and so forth. Uh, I'm sure you're all aware of this. I mean, this you've had to have lived under a rock for the last couple of years not to have heard about some of these things. But, you know, textbook costs have increased um, since 1980, 79, 80, have increased uh, 810%. So it's just, an, it's actually higher than healthcare cost, actually. Um, and a few other little metrics I want to just throw out there for something to chew on. The um, uh, And I'm just kind of going to pick in a few of these out of the list here. But, um, uh, ninety percent of textbook costs. Uh, there's been a ninety percent textbook cost increase, rather, uh, from 1998 to 2016. Meanwhile, recreational textbooks fell 35 percent during that same period. Seventy-five percent of students have delayed purchasing a required textbook due to the cost. Seventy-three percent of students have never heard of open educational resources, and I've considered this as part of sort of that. Even though you're, you have a cost, it's as part of that OER spectrum. 65% uh, of students don't purchase the required textbooks. 50% uh, of students choose majors based on the textbook costs. 30% of students use financial aid awards to buy textbooks. Uh, that's even higher in community colleges, by the way. 13% uh, of students have considered dropping because they couldn't afford the uh, cost of the materials in the course. So just a few things to think about. I mean, this is a major problem for us. And I think that this solution um, provides a number of things that I think are unique, um, frankly, to this whole conversation regarding um, digital access to digital materials and resources. COVID, I think, is, is, has surfaced a number of challenges that I think this product would address very well. Um, for, fa for faculty who are still relying upon physical textbooks, and I understand there were some questions that came in about this, and I hope we'll get to that that you know, digital content, digital imprints for the most part, focus on uh, lower division undergraduate courses for the most part. And then as you move up into the graduate level, you start to see sort of a thinning of the availability of, of titles. And we all get that. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of economies of scale and, and you know, what makes sense. Um, so I'm gonna reserve uh, responding to that. I'll let, I'll let the host talk about that a little bit more because that, that continues to, I think, to be a little bit of a challenge, but with COVID, what we found was with the rapid exodus of students across campus, uh, without really much warning, they had to vacate their books because it, for us it happened right during spring break. And so we do not have the legal right to go into residence halls and retrieve materials and send it to them. And even if you could, it would take two weeks to package it up and get them out to their locations and so forth. So not only inconvenient, but it basically uh, provided yet another disruptive element to their studies. Um, a few things I just wanted to, to mention here, and, and I'll turn this over in just a moment, moment here, but the mobile friendliness of the product is vital, of course. I think that goes without saying. Um, every, every product that we choose, every product that we look at and vet has to have a mobile component. That's just absolutely critical. And so that this product um, can, uh, you know, scale itself to the, to the form factor of the device is absolutely critical. I was... I loved that feature. I think that it was absolutely awesome to be able to do that. Annotations is critical as well. We have a separate annotation product, but this might actually solve some of the annotation ability as, as well. Students could actually annotate in line. Uh, frictionless access, of course, is very important. It was mentioned earlier. The print-on-demand is a, is a major component as well. You know, textbook, the whole model is being disrupted, right? Um, there's just becoming a, the textbook, the, the traditional textbook model is being upended. 
And we're starting to see now um, students who are not necessarily uh, attuned to uh, using uh, digital resources uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Maybe they just don't like the, the interface or the, the, uh, the, the form factor, the human form factor that prefer to still have print. Well, the fact that you can actually take this content and have this printed on demand, which uh, actually is a, is a win-win. Um, I don't know if you studied much about this, but bookstores that have moved from the traditional text-based textbook-based model to a print-on-demand model actually save money. Um, uh, David Wiley from Lumen Learning has done some interesting uh, metrics on that, put some pen to paper about that. Um, just trying to see the uh, the price sensitivity and the access. So we do a lot of accelerated course. Uh, programs here um, where students have to start and stop on a very rapid turnover. They start, uh, they stop a course rather, and then they have to start the next one the very next week. Having um, having access, immediate access to content is absolutely vital. They cannot wait two weeks or three weeks to get their content, even if it's coming from one of the major, you know, bookstore vendors that you see online. Because sometimes there can be, especially with COVID, there can be a delay. So having immediate access to this is absolutely vital. It's, it's so critical and having it in a digital format is absolutely vital as well. In fact, we're just doing some quality matters workshops and that was one of the, the, the points that we brought up is that your content really has to be in a digital format and you have to have it available to students immediately. So that immediacy and that price sensitivity is absolutely vital for what we're doing. So I think I've, uh, I've probably taken up enough time. There's some great questions coming in a little later. So. Um, Thanks. So yeah, lots of questions. Um, so thanks everybody for uh, being so engaged. Um, and yeah, I would just add if I were a provost right now, I mean, this solves so many problems for me. Um, but I will, I will defer to the questions for now, uh, rather than uh, get on my uh, soapbox. Um, so one of the first questions was about um, specialized content. So as Rob mentioned, sometimes it's hard to get access to um, specialized texts and and it seems like if you're working with the publishers you know as long as you're working with the publisher you guys would be able to get that kind of access or is that also still a problem Dave or Umberto yeah so to, to, to jump in you know in terms of the content we can get I mean practically any publisher that is willing to play ball which is most we have 2,000 including the big names we can get their content and the exceptions are, and then we typically tell an institution, if you send us a list of, say, 1,000 titles, we can get you 95% of those. The 5% that we can't get, you know, the rights have reverted to the author, so we'd have to speak to the author. There's no digital copy currently available. There might be some issues with the IP and the content. Um, the publisher doesn't want to play ball. So, so there are the sort of key reasons why that, that might be a bit more challenging. Yeah, and I, I guess my suggestion would be is if you have, for, for those of you, I know there were several of you who had specific questions, I, I would go ahead and reach out to Dave or Umberto or somebody at Biblio and just ask, you know, what kind of, of uh, content you're looking for and if it's available. Um, but uh, let me, uh, so there were several about the, um, and, you know, international students trying to order obscure texts and so on. So, you know, it's just a question of if, which publisher it is, and it sounds like they have access to the vast majority of publishers out there. Uh, another question is, can a student get a link direct to that? The, so if there's a, a graph and they have a question about it, can students get a direct link to that page so that they could send it to their professor? And then um, say, hey, you know, I have a question about this specific graph. Uh, 
Yes, uh, absolutely. And we do that in the simplest way possible so that if you just scroll so that that chart is in view, you copy the URL and you send that to the student, that will work perfectly. Oh, wow. Um, if you want to do, you know, deeper integrations through, through your LMS so that the student is also authenticated through the link, then we also also support that. And you can do that down to a figure level as well. Yeah, and again, there's another question about specific uh, nursing programs. My suggestion is you, you guys send a, a note to um, the folks at Biblio and they can let you know if they have, you, we would need to know the publisher. So um, thanks for that question. Uh, and the, there were several questions about the privacy concerns. So, you know, you can imagine that students wouldn't be too thrilled about their professor being able to check on them. But um, yeah, I mentioned that, you know, obviously for FERPA reasons, you know, you can, faculty can't share this information be it, and it should be just the professor, I assume, who has specific access to it yeah. in the class. And, um, you know, this is, yeah, this is obviously you know, a key concern and we, we operate quite a bit in Europe. So uh, GDPR, <laughs> the GDPR regulations, one of the harshest in the world and we're compliant with that. So, you know, in the cases where we set up academics with uh, personally identifiable reading, reading data, that needs to be, you know, there needs to be a contractual agreement between us and the university and that's something we've done before and it is GDPR compliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, the next question is how easy and affordable is this for small schools? Some textbook services don't play well with small volume. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good question. Yeah, so, so we um, uh, have a couple of models. One is only paying for what's used and that's a really popular model and that works quite well with small schools. Because rather than saying, you know, I have 100 students in this class and I'm going to pay for 100 essentially digital versions of the book, you just pay as it's used. Um, and, and of course, yeah, for smaller schools, because you have less students, even if you were to say, I want to, you know, get 100 digital versions of this book, you'd be paying, um, you know, less than a, a, a similar. I mean, you might only have five, you know, it might be a very small class. Um, uh, you're paying less than a school that might have a thousand in, in, in say, their gen ed, ed, ed class. Right. Um, great. And so I'm just looking through the questions here. Um, yeah, so Rob um, had mentioned mobile friendly, which I, as he said, being mobile friendly is really important. And um, Tarrant was asking if uh, um, is Biblio still mobile friendly, even if the school's website isn't particularly mobile friendly? Uh, yeah, of course. So I, I guess it kind of depends what what you mean by school's website. So if you, if you mean the learning management system, maybe, um, then yes, because any, uh, any uh, LTI link through the LMS, we can actually redirect into our native mobile app. Um, so by design, our reader isn't going to appear into a poorly formatted page. It will actually be opening into our own app. Um, if, if our reader isn't embedded within, um, the university page, then it's just a standalone system and yeah, also works perfectly fine. Mobile apps also on web, to be honest, if you, if you open a link on our website, it's all mobile friendly. Very good. Um, and I know you do guys, guys do have a list of participating institutions. Um, 
uh, Umberto, do, could you um, uh, maybe um, share? Yeah. yeah, I know you have one in your <laughs> your deck somewhere. Yeah, so, so uh, fumbling around with the mute yeah. button. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So they're just that's just some um, of the the institutions they work with. Uh, but uh, in any case, if you have a, um, a somebody have to ask that question. If you have want to know more, you can actually go to their website and see some of more of the. Um, participating institutions. And there's a question for Rob. Um, do you see downsides in online content? Um, you, you know, I, so, so some students, a lot of studies, depending upon who you, uh, who you look at, which studies you follow, a lot of stu students indicate that they are uh, less attuned to using digital content. They find there's more reading eye fatigue uh, with certain types of imprints on, on screen. Um, there's also some studies which tend to suggest that students have less retention and recall of information. So there's some counter studies, academically speaking, that um, suggest that sometimes uh, keeping content in a native digital format isn't quite as effective. However, I do think that that tide is turning. I, I really honestly think that students now are starting to become more acclimated to the digital version of content. Um, and uh, I think we're starting to overcome some of those challenges, those physical challenges of, of fatigue, eye fatigue, and, and eye strain, that kind of thing. Um, some, of the, some of the content now is starting to adapt and provide more natural-like interfaces. You notice that, that they can change their background colors and things. That is really, really important for students uh, with accessibility concerns as well. But even for um, the non-disabled population, the fact that they can change their background colors to provide a more natural and I think more organic look and feel to the page I think is going to be very important. So um, hopefully that answered your question. I, I do think that we're starting to see a little bit of a shift in momentum toward uh, more students I think are becoming more uh, comfortable with using digital native digital content. Yeah, and one thing to keep in mind is that at a lot of institutions, the main form of access that a student has is through their mobile phone. There are students who aren't getting laptops anymore. And um, so the, the accessibility through a mobile app, phone and mobile app is really critical these days because I know, you know, even at a college like Menlo College where I was a provost, we had a lot, you know, part of the issue was that students didn't have, you know, they had all these other electronics, you know, even game machines and so on, but they didn't have um, necessarily a, a laptop. And so we actually had a, a program where we would loan out Chromebooks, but, um, and I know a lot of institutions are going that way, but the, the reality is going into the future, I really believe that um, it's going to be mobile phones uh, that were, you know, smartphones. So, um, and then um, there's a, a question, um, Matt was asking if he could send a list to have you guys review it. Um, is that something you guys could do? Yeah, absolutely. That's a very standard process for us. So um, often one of the first steps is having any new institution sent through a list. And we obviously, you know, um, provide them details around what we can provide, what the pricing looks like and, and that sort of thing. And then the list, you know, if you have the ISBN title publisher, that's uh, that's good enough for us to do that analysis. So yeah, and, and to jump into what um, was just touched, you know, if you, you ask students, do you prefer print or digital? A lot of them say print, but what they actually mean is both. They want both. And um, I think 
I think it's really key and the technology can enable this. Uh, um, print on demand was touched on earlier as well. That's one really cool way that digital can facilitate print. And we also have a print functionality, which um, um, Umberto's uh, touched on, which enables any student to print, uh, you know, parts of any book. So again, you know, th th there's clearly a demand for both. Um, but, but as I said before, I think there's a clear move to, to digital now and, and increasingly students are saying they want digital first. If, if they have to pick one or the other, they want digital first. But yeah, it, it, there's still a significant amount for printout. Yeah. Um, and then another question is, how long does a student have access to the materials? Is it only while they are enrolled in the course, like one semester or longer? Well, it, it's very, it's really up to the, the institution to select the model they want. If, if they want to enable the students to keep the book forever, that can be done. And we, we do that with Coventry and a couple other institutions. Uh, obviously, more expansive than the model where student just has access for six months or, 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 or 12 months to that content. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Great. Um, all right. So that that's the questions we have so far. But I actually had a few questions for you guys. Um, so we, we've talked about, the, you know, there's all these, it seems like you guys just have a lot of flexibility in terms of being able to work, to work with institutions. And you just mentioned a few, a few different models. And, you know, I know for Menlo College, one of the most important things was making sure that students have, didn't have to worry about being able to afford books. And um, so could you talk a little bit about the different models institutions use, whether they, you know, they don't, students don't have to pay for books at all, or, or maybe they pay a fee or something like that? Yeah, so the, the two, two models are most popular. In both cases, the institution pays, and, and it, I guess the question whether it's out of the central institutional budget, you know, that's often done through a library, for example, or, or, or whether it's um, added to the student fee with the, the student having the ability to opt out of, of, of that happening. And that would more usually be done through the bursar or, or sometimes the bookstore. So mm -hmm. either is an option. And again, it sort of depends on the institution and, and what their preference is. And in terms of the costing model, it's typically down to the per book per student arrangement, as I said before can either be, you know, a fixed number of students up front, what we call title by title, or it can be just pay as you go. So as students use it, you know, you, you pay for usage and we call that user activated acquisition. Mm -hmm. um, so, so either is possible. Um, and the beauty of the scheme is, is we're getting enormous discounts from the publishers, you know, a book that might be $100 retail, digital or print could be as low as, you know, $25 um, through a scheme like this. So massive mm. discounts being yielded. Um, so great savings for, 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 for the students and the institutions. Oh, that's interesting. And, and is that because you just have that negotiating power? Yeah, it, it comes to the, the, the bulk discounting in the sense that, you know, the institutions running these schemes are buying on behalf of often, you know, thousands of students, sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes less. But, 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 you know, they have much more buying power than an, an individual student. Um, it's also cheaper and, and the publishers, you know, often wouldn't necessarily agree, but, but it is cheaper to distribute content digitally through an institution. So like centrally, rather than having individuals sort of, you know, go through their own payment and, and purchasing methods. Yeah, that's interesting. Tarrant was asking about, you know, or saying that, you know, students dislike digital because they can't get used versions, but you're, you're actually probably getting these at a price that's lower well, than the user version. Thing, we actually did analysis for a, an institution out in San Francisco and they, they we, we, we're sort of like fairly developed down the setting them up phase and, and 
like quite late into the process, I said, well, you know, we found this this book on Amazon, second-hand rental, second-hand copy. Um, uh, you know, w w is, is it going to be cheaper to do this? And the answer is, occasionally it is, yeah. But we actually, we, we took about a thousand titles that this institution had looked at. And on average, those prints, copies, um, second-hand print copies or rental print copies are about 30% more expensive. But that number fluctuates quite a lot because the supply of those copies obviously fluctuates. So the, in some cases, they were cheaper and in some cases, they were way more expensive, just depending mm -hmm. on how much second-hand supply is out there. Um, yeah. But as I said, on average, you know, the, the, the digital on Bibli U came out about 30% cheaper than the um, second-hand and print rental programs on Amazon. Yeah, I, I know uh, Taryn's asking a, a, an important question because uh, so coming at it from the faculty perspective, um, you know, professors often want specific versions of a book, you know, sometimes I know professors who actually wanted an older, <laughs> you know, edition of a book because that's the one they were used to working with. Um, and oftentimes you ran into to uh, a problem where we couldn't get the older version um, because it was out of print. And so um, the library would have to, you know, the library helped with uh, acquisitions and we had a, a, you know, we had a hard time finding older versions, but, um, you know, also uh, professors often want to add supplements, um, you know, maybe some of their own materials. Um, and it sounds like you would be flexible enough to, to do that. Yeah, of course. So, so a couple of points there. Where possible, um, we maintain the older editions with the institution because there are many examples where the new edition come out, but, but a certain professor is teaching from edition number two. So where possible, we keep both those, those editions with the institution. So, you know, the professor can pick which they teach from. Um, in terms of, you know, custom content or the professors, um, uh, you know, uh, adding additional things themselves, we've had a couple of institutions where they'd send us a course reader or some sort of course pack and we'd ingest that into the platform alongside the textbook. So you've got like the, the textbook and the course pack or the notes. So there are lots, lots of interesting things that can be done there. And um, Umberto is actually exploring at the moment ways that professors and students can interact in the, in the software itself. So, so that's something on, on our um, development timeline over the coming um, year or so. Yeah, that's really interesting because, um, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, I would always uh, share my PowerPoints with the students and if I could just upload it to, you know, that course within Bibliu, then that would make it easier for me. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. And, and things like the search functionality are really, really nice to have around the course notes as well as the textbook. So as Umberto was showing before, it's a bit like a Google breakdown. And it's really nice for the student to be able to search both the course notes and the textbook. Yep. Absolutely. And yeah, and you know, we, we do have situations I know where, where students and sometimes even for accessibility reasons need to have the original paper copy. And of course, that's up to usually libraries will will maintain those kinds of things. Uh, somebody, Molly, was asking me about that. But um, I, I was hoping you guys would talk a little bit also about how quickly you can get up and running with an institution, because I know, you know, we hopefully won't run into this situation again. But if there were a situation where an, an institution realized, oh my gosh, we have to go online and our students can't get access to text. You know, say there was a, a big wave of, of, you know, one city was deciding to shut down before classes started and, you know, the institutions like, oh my God, you know, we got to get all these textbooks, you know, out to students so they can start going. Um, so could you talk a little bit about how quickly you guys can get up and running? It's a question that's often asked and I, I take the worst case example of, um, 
Leicester University, who are a fairly big institution of ours out here in the UK, and, and they um, sort of undenied about a project, a very big project, and then right at the beginning of the fall term, they decided they wanted to go ahead. And I think actually some of the classes had started. So let's say it was one week into fall term. And within five working days, we had 95% of the content live ready to go. So, so it can be done <laughs> in very short timescales. I would say that, you know, the institutions that like to plan ahead and, and, and um, make sure all the, the, the boxes are ticked, you know, a month is, is, is much more comfortable time frame. And typically when institutions get into the cycle of things, you know, the actual, um, the plan, you know, is, is drawn up, say, in May, June, and then everything's ready perfectly for the full kickoff or whatever the, the kickoff may be. So, yeah. Yeah. Rob, did you want to chime in on any of this? Actually, I had a, a question. Um, <laughs> if you're um, I'm sort of curious. So we have a we have a, a lot of faculty. Um, I'm sure most institutions do that are starting to uh, uh, sort of immerse themselves in the OER content production. So they're self-producing titles on various different platforms. I'm sort of curious if your product can ingest those titles so that um, they can become kind of part of this catalog. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just, just as I said before, with, with say a course reader, um, if if an institution was to send us custom content, we can, and including OER they've written themselves, um, we can ingest that. Um, yeah, so there are lots of different angles there. And what what we typically do that there's either we link that into a program with paid content, or we flip it and have a program which is just paying for the platform, and the content on the platform is like published by the university or or, or published by the professor as such. And naturally, you know, if you're writing your own content, uh, uh, the cost of, you know, the, the rich functionality that we have on the platform is infinitely cheaper than if, if you want to have a Pearson text and our platform together, because a big part of the cost is, is, is the text. So. Mm -hmm. And if I may, with respect to the library corpus, uh, are you, um, uh, which, um, indices are you able to access uh, with respect to being able to pull those products into your uh, into your catalog into your service uh, do you mean specifically what sorts of research content like journals and databases and monographs yeah right thank you yeah 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 um, yeah in terms of research content so currently monographs uh, included and very easy for us to essentially source any book right so it might be a very specialist book on like um, Venice in the 1300s, not something you'd teach from probably, perhaps something you'd write a master's thesis sort of around and with. So any monograph, any book we can provide, we're actually talking to an, and, and courseware we can provide as well. I know, you know, some of you probably use like your Wiley Plus and your Pearson My Labs that can be provided too. Um, we're actually talking to an institution at the moment about including their journals as well. Um, so it's not something we've done before, but, but something we're certainly interested in doing. Um, and then in terms of databases, we, we haven't we haven't provisioned um, library databases before either. Yeah, and then haven't actually had, you know, we work with us about 130 libraries. We haven't ha had any libraries um, uh, ask us to, to look into that for them yet, but I, I'm sure it will come at some point. Yeah, um, there's a question from Samantha. She says she's a little confused. Can this be used as a type of ebook central or is it just uh, tied to required textbooks. I think you sort of answered this, but yeah. So eBook Central is a ProQuest product, and this is a really good question. And historically, you know, 
your textbooks you buy in the bookstore or you use a separate textbook platform for. The beauty of Biblio is the first time we've been able to, or anyone can get their monographs, like your ProQuest Central type books, and your core textbooks together on the same platform. Um, and specifically, if you're a library, you can integrate all of it into your library system, as well as if you're a professor, you can integrate it all nicely into your learning management system and your teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if you con were connected with the library, so if there's, say I have an article that I want to use in my class, I can just have a link to the library uh, journal article within Biblio. With that. Yeah, so, so quite commonly, um, so oh, oh, yeah, you know, you can do a full LTI integration and Biblio can be embedded in your Blackboard or your Canvas mm -hmm. and then you can use it that way. Alternatively, it's quite common if a library is managing a, 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 a Biblio program for the, everything to be in the, the library search engine. So if you go to, say, your NYU library search, you search for your book or your monograph and you find it there and you can just link that into your lecture slide or link that into your... Um, uh, learning management system or whatnot, and it feeds through that. So there are many different ways you can access. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, or are they? I mean, really, it, it's a matter of integrating with existing uh, databases and, and the LMS and so on. So I guess that's the nice component of the single sign-on is students won't necessarily know that they're on the LMS versus Biblio. It's all part of the same. Uh, a connection. <laughs> so. hey, Terry, Terry, if I may, I have a, a question with respect to the LTI integration. Um, can a faculty member who is uh, contextualizing the content, say they have adopted a particular imprint, uh, are the most imprints anchored uh, with respect to the chapters, titles, headings, so that when you are um, associating those with various learning modules, you can specifically determine I want students to read this chapter and not just to link to the book, you know, in its entirety. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great yeah, question. And, and sometimes, uh, let me jump in and say, sometimes you may want to link to the chapter specifically in LTI. You can do that. So tell them, read this chapter. Or you could link even more specifically to like the page and, and you know, you might want to have a WhatsApp discussion with, with, a, with a group or or whatnot, and you can link to the specific page and diagram and say, hey, check out this diagram. This is relevant um, to, to our discussion today. And often students, I think Ambu can share some examples, but often the students will link to that page level and send it to their friends and say, hey, did you see this? This is really relevant to our assessment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can actually, um, th there's some universities that build out full reading lists in the LMS uh, into our content so that the LMS is the the views broken down between you know week one, week two, week three, and in each week they actually provide a deep link to the specific section of the content that they expect the student to read. Um, that would that would be so nice. <laughs> just <laughs> as a faculty member, I'm just like, oh wow. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, um, everybody feel free to share anything. We're, this is a free webinar, so if you want to share with colleagues and so on, you know, everybody should feel free to share any of the links and so on that we're, we're talking about. So um, yeah, and you'll get an email from us afterwards and um, you can go ahead and forward that to your colleagues. And uh, we'll also share on social media the link to the tomorrow's webinar. So, oh, I did want to mention, so uh, those who are interested, tomorrow's webinar is going to focus on accessibility. Um, and we, we didn't get into that too much today, but uh, 
Dave, if you want to mention Biblio just got uh, a, I can't, a, is it an award or a ranking? Something yeah, like that. there's an Aspire rating as well. Yeah, it's an interesting group working on accessibility. And we did their um, uh, assessment on our, the accessibility on our platform and got a 100% score. So really proud of that. And yeah, it's really, as you said, it's a super important thing to ensure all students have fair access to the content regardless of you know, their learning um, yeah. challenges they may face. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that's been a, a huge topic and, you know, even just basic website accessibility, let alone, um, you know, so when you're going to digital content, that's got to be at the top of the list is accessibility to a certain extent, because you have students who are coming at it from from different perspectives and different disabilities and accommodations. And um, I know that some of the things you guys um, do uh, like uh, Rob was saying earlier, being able to change the background and so on is really important. We got one more question, which we'll wrap up with, which is with integrated access, who clears the copyrights for non-OER copyrighted text, your company or the library? Yeah, so we clear all the rights. Yeah, we have a um, content team in-house, publishing relations team, and uh, we have contracts with all the major publishers. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about that. That's the, uh, that's the part and, and we do all that. Yeah, that's really nice. I know because that's a, a huge task sometimes getting rights uh, to, to access. Um, sure. So um, it, unless we have any last question, Rob, any last comments before we go? Well, this is, I think, just an exciting advancement in this uh, in this spectrum. I'm blown away. This is so cool. I, this is really, I think, I think where we're all headed is this type of agility, this type of content accessibility. Um, wonderful these guys have really done a nice job i think crossing the t's and dotting the i's about all these little things like uh you know permissions and accessibility these are vital vital questions i think they've done a wonderful job with that thank you yeah i mean the nice thing is it's not only saving you money in terms of the cost of the the text but it's also just saving you energy i mean i just know how much time and energy our librarians and our bookstore and, and everybody had to put into dealing with with di with digital content alone well you know let alone physical textbooks and so i mean i would jump on this if i were still a provost so i i'm very excited that you guys were able to join us today um thank you so much dave any any last thoughts yeah just just add one comment we didn't really have time to get into it today but um uh in in terms of a case study that that um would be interesting to discuss with anyone that reaches out to us um at demonth at university and this sort of ties into the uh, ebook central question before we've actually been able to automate a whole range of the processes so there are a lot of workflow benefits to the institution and we can save a lot of time for your teams in terms of finding the content in terms of accessing the content procuring it deploying it so i'll leave it there but yeah there are a lot of great automations um, that can be implemented to uh yeah make make content much easier for you as well as your students Yes, and just another note, um, uh, the uh, email to reach out to them is ceo at bibliu.com, sorry, bibliu.email. Uh, again, that's ceo at bibliu.email. I know a lot of you are interested and in, in want to follow up, so um, please don't hesitate to do that. If you have run into any issues, we're happy. You, you can also contest, uh, contact us, um, and we'll be happy to forward any questions to Dave or Umberto or whoever will be willing to help you. So this is, I mean, I'm so excited for you guys. This is such a, a great product, as, as Rob has said. And so we'll wrap up here. Thank you to everyone. And um, I hope that you will join their webinar tomorrow. Um, 
And uh, yeah, again, thanks to everybody. Thanks to all, for all, this was really interactive and I really appreciate everybody's questions. So just FYI, our next webinar will be, we're doing monthly webinars now. So our next webinar will be um, June 25th. And so we will be announcing that very soon, but it looks like we're gonna be talking about um, issues around student ass ass um, assessment and uh, other products that can help uh, uh, with mobile apps and so on. So anyway, I will leave it there. Again, thank you, Rob. Thank you, Umberto. Thank you, Dave. And everybody have a wonderful rest of your day.